The gospel lesson for this morning comes from the gospel of Matthew, the 17th chapter, the first nine verses. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led him up a high mountain by themselves. And Jesus was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. But while he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up, do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This, too, is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit, heavenly dove, with all thy quickening power. Come shed abroad a Savior's love that it may kindle ours. For if you are with us, then nothing else matters. And if you are not with us, then nothing else matters. Amen. The latest Pew Research study on religion in America reports that three in ten Americans, or one-third of our population, identify as nothing in particular. One-third. It's a dramatic rise over the past three decades, but these are our neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates, your friends. Whether you realize it or not, you are encountering folks every day who are at least somewhat suspicious of this thing called religion or Christianity or church. And whether you realize it or not, uh, the fact that you are here this morning makes you increasingly just a little bit weird. Maybe that's okay. Maybe that's okay because on Transfiguration Sunday, that's worth naming because today's text is just a little bit weird. Today we meet Jesus and his disciples going up the high mountain, and when they get to the top, the scripture says Jesus is transfigured before them. The Bible says he is illumined before their very eyes, glowing, bedazzled, surrounded by a light that caused Peter and James and John to, to both stand in awe and quake in fear. 
And then a cloud moves in on the mountain, and from the cloud they hear a voice, the voice of God, who says, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And then with a single touch, all of it goes away. And Jesus brings them back to reality from this powerfully transformative spiritual moment, and they go back down the mountain. It's holy and mysterious and powerful and weird. So this is probably not the first story from Scripture that you're going to share with friends who aren't so sure about Christianity. My guess is that if those friends of ours that identify as nothing in particular asked about this text, we might try to immediately explain it away. Maybe we would dive into a kind of historical, biblical exegesis lesson. Well, you see, Matthew is trying to remind us of the parallels between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, Moses went up Mount Sinai and heard God's voice, and the encounter was so transformative that he came down glowing. So the gospel writer is trying to help us see that Jesus is the new Moses. And we're to remember that in the wilderness, God traveled with the Israelites in a cloud. So this is a confirmation that the same God that was with Israel is with Jesus. And God spoke to Moses and Elijah and now Jesus from the cloud. And so God's voice here is connecting us to the line of the ones whom God chose and called beloved, the ones we're to follow. And God's words here are the same as Jesus' baptism so that we would remember that this is Jesus' son. Maybe we'd explain it that way. And it would be true. Or maybe we would say that this is actually just a a literary maneuver by the gospel writer to pivot from Jesus' teaching ministry in Galilee toward Jerusalem and the cross. And that would also be true. Or we might say, well, these kinds of holy encounters are part of this ancient story, and they're just that, ancient. Things don't happen like that anymore except when they do, or, or we could choose to just let it be a little weird. We could get t-shirts akin to the tagline from the city of Austin that just says, keep Jesus weird, and it would be okay. Because rather than defend it or explain it away, it is okay for some of it to be just a little bit mysterious. Because sometimes those holy and true and spiritually transformative things can't be explained, but they are no less real. And the interesting thing that the research studies bear out on on this increasing pool of what are called nuns, N-O-N-E-S, is that they still hold a spiritual yearning just like we do. They still believe or want to believe in something beyond themselves. Most of them just have a deep mistrust of religion. And maybe some of us do too. We live in a time when questioning institutions is happening at every level, from government to education to community organizations to religions, and there's some good reasons why. 
When religion, or Christianity specifically, is viewed as judgmental, hypocritical, homophobic, at times hateful, it's understandable that people ask, why in the world would I go to church? But it doesn't change the fact that there is something inside most of us, even those spiritual but not religious friends, who are still seeking something more. Something that might not always make intellectual sense, but is nevertheless true. Something that gives our life meaning and purpose and grounding. And many of us, religious and non-religious, Christian and none alike, have done what the disciples did with Jesus in this morning's scripture. We've gone out looking for God. We've gone up the mountain or out into nature or to the water's edge, hoping hoping for a kind of spiritual awakening. The number of hikers right now on a spiritual pilgrimage route on the Camino de Santiago in Spain is at record highs. The Taze community in France is attracting crowds of millennials seeking, seeking a kind of spiritual awakening through silence and song. The Iona community in Scotland is booked. And a wave of spirituality apps on the phones in every single one of your pockets is promising a kind of supercharged mindfulness and positive thinking, and yoga classes in town, they're full. There's something within us that longs to encounter the holy, the really real, something beyond ourselves, something we religious folks would call God. We're yearning, are we not, for something sacred and true? And so maybe there's something right about going up the mountain with Jesus. It strikes me that from an early age, most of us are taught that if there is a God, God lives in the heavens, right? Somewhere up high in the clouds. Maybe, um, now that I'm a parent, I can say this is true. Maybe this is parents' way of getting out of a difficult question. When our children ask, where does God live? We can say, God's in heaven. It's the easy answer, and it seems to be one that our children, who are way more comfortable with mystery than we are, they'll accept it. And so far away and high above, we allow God to be enveloped in a kind of transcendent mystery. The God who created the heavens and the earth must live far off and high away. And if you've gone outside on a clear night, away from the city lights, then you know that the heavens are so distant and expansive that we cannot help but be drawn into them. And so we trek upward on the mountain hoping that maybe God will just peel back that mystery and and enable us to see and to know and trust that the God who made all of this would dare to care about each and every one of us. But we also can't forget that this story is a little weird. And the beauty and the power comes in that weirdness. Because a remarkable thing happens on the mountaintop in this story. God's presence isn't just in a voice or a cloud. God's presence is in the person of Jesus who is transfigured before them. They go all the way up the mountain, and what they find is that the transcendence and the imminence of God meet 
in the person of Jesus the Christ. And our transcendent God gifts his heavenly voice to his son, Jesus, the one whom we call Emmanuel, God with us. Listen to that voice, God says. So maybe the real mystery is not that Jesus becomes dazzling white or that Moses and Elijah appear or even that God speaks out of a cloud. The mystery of the transfiguration is that the God who is other is the very same God that is near. The God who appears in the heavens, whom we go to the mountaintop to meet, walks back down the mountain in the person of Jesus to be with us and among us and to travel the road to the cross for us. The real mystery is that looking for God's presence doesn't require us to go out into nature or high up on the mountaintop, but to pay attention to the simple touch of God with us and to listen to God's voice that says, get up, do not be afraid. It's a bit weird. But it made it into our scriptures despite Jesus telling the disciples not to tell anyone because when you've had an encounter with God, you can't keep it to yourself. So maybe the real gift we have to offer our friends, those who are seeking, those who are not sure, those who are spiritual but not religious, is that you don't have to go up the high mountain to the holy place or to pay $25 for a yoga class you can encounter God simply by bumping up against other human beings in whom God is present. The idea that God came to be with us in Jesus means that God can show up right next to us. That's what church is all about, after all. We're here under the conviction that we cannot experience the depths of God's love or forgiveness or mercy or grace without encountering each other. And maybe it's not the transfiguration story in Matthew, but I know each of you has a story to share. All right, so we all know that the um, annual report that we put together that you all read a couple weeks ago, or thumbed through at least, um, tell Megan you thumbed through it, um, the annual report, it's not typically the most riveting document that we put out as a church each year, but I asked the session this past fall to think a little bit differently about our annual report, and I asked them to start to tell stories of where God has been at work in the lives of Morningsiders. And I know, because I talked to a number of you, that our elders felt a, a measure of stress about this. This was a new assignment, and you wanted me to do what, Pastor Katie? But I invited them to do so because the church has a gift of witness to offer. We get to share glimpses of where God is present and at work in the world. And the stories we have to tell don't require us to go up the mountain. They're the stories of when Christ is and was present among us. When God bumped up next to us and we could hear Christ's promise and hope and challenge because we were engaged in life together. 
these encounters with Christ happened um, not on the mountain, but at tutoring tables at Dobbs Elementary. And they happen when our deacons deliver flowers and they offer a hug and a word of hope to a church member going through a tough time. And they happen when our preschoolers come forward for communion during MPP chapel and hear that God loves them. And they happen when a person who's been hurt by the church received a glitter blessing in Piedmont Park at our, at our table at Pride, and they got to hear that they were God's beloved. And they happen when we deliver ICM groceries to Maggie Russell Towers, and it feels like feeding the 5,000 because the groceries just keep coming, but there is, in fact, enough. And they happen when a senior in the youth group befriends a sixth grader and God shows up in a loving, if not very sarcastic, community of teens. And those holy moments keep coming. When a hundred women's voices filled this space on Monday night for a premiere concert and all of us heard something that was transcendent, but then we got to turn to our neighbor and say, and they will happen this week when those uh, who are headed to Thornwell um, drive to South Carolina and brush up against kids and llamas, I am told, as they serve together at Lush Acre Farms. They're moments that are holy and mysterious and glowing with joy and wild and weird as the one that happened on the mountaintop with Jesus, and they're possible because the God who is out there dared to come and be right here. The invitation of the transfiguration is to tell stories. The stories that we worry might sound a little bit weird when we say, God was there and I was changed. But they are nevertheless true. Because those moments, when God shows up in a single touch or the voice of truth change us in the same way that Peter and uh, James and John's hearts were changed. The gift of God is not that God is somewhere out there far away, but that God is right here with us and in us, around us and through us, because God dared to become one of us. The gift Jesus offers, the scandal of the gospel, the thing that makes us weird, is also the thing the world is yearning for. So rather than worrying about defending a text like this morning, the transfiguration story is an invitation to point to where God is and to tell those stories to one another. And to listen to where others have bumped up against Jesus by being connected to one another in community. For in all of those moments, we will be transfigured, changed as well. So maybe it's just a little bit weird, but maybe that's what will save us. Amen.